trails of troubles, rows of battles, hands of victory, we shall walk. Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC 90.7 and you're tuning in again with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock to She Walks. And Carly, I think we've just kind of been all over the board just trying to trying to figure out there's so many things that are going on. Like last week we talked about representation and, you know, representation matters. It matters most. I mean, it's critical. So I think you told our, our audience that we'd probably look at that again, especially from the Little Mermaid perspective that all we've seen is a trailer and we've got all this people upset and all this stuff going on. So we will revisit that again and talk more about it. But today we want to talk about disruptive leadership. And we've talked a little bit about that, but we want to talk specifically about leadership now and what we believe will be leadership in the future. Yes, absolutely. And we did a big leadership series for Women's History Month where we talked about leadership, you know, kind of challenging patriarchal leadership. And now we kind of wanted to shift our focus to this disruptive model and how leaders can use this disruptive theory to challenge the systems that they are currently leading, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, even this is what I've found is I've been using this and talking about it, even to talk about it, words matter. They matter most. So when you talk about disruptive change or disruptive leadership as a a model, people are immediately thinking that you're going to start a fight. You're going to, there's going to be a riot. You're going to be protesting. Just the word disruptive causes the status quo challenges. Yes, absolutely. And the last time that we talked about disruptive change, I had this thought after we stopped recording about disruption in therapy, right? Mm. So when someone is having sort of a cycle of anxious thoughts or negative thoughts, right? We use disruption to, to disrupt that cycle and to choose a new path. And so I think thinking about disruption in that way can be really helpful because what's happening is there's a system in place and it's just been chugging along doing its thing, right? And then it's not serving the way that it needs to serve. It's not doing the things that it needs to do. So let's disrupt that and choose a new path, right? Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessarily choreographed. And I think that's what uh, brings so much fear to standard leadership or regular leadership, for lack of a better word, is because it's irreversible. It comes and you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the the frightening part or the the part that causes the most consternation from leaders is that what do you do with it? And a lot of people who are hierarchical and powerful and patriarchal and all those things, they just keep fighting against it. They just keep kicking and saying, no, no, no. But there are some things that come to light that you can't do anything about. Like, you know, we tried to suppress this whole dismantling racism or anti-racism, we tried to suppress it, you know, when we talked about affirmative action and we said, we're not going to have that. And we tried to keep all these things from happening. But as we talked one time before, I think we mentioned like George Floyd coming in, changed the world regarding race, police brutality, all of those things. And we can never be the same. The whole, and media plays a role in that, but the whole way that police officers, police now has been changed. Like, body cameras. You know, that whole thing is no longer the same. I mean, most places cannot get away without having body cams. And I think the disruptive piece, like you said, is what's frightening, right? Because it's an event that happens that disrupts and we we can't be the same afterwards. So my question would be, I guess, 
is there a way to harness that energy? Is there a way to be intentionally disruptive and not wait for an event to come that pushes us to that point? But can we decide this system isn't working and do something about it. And I guess that would be where leaders would come in to do that. Yeah, and, and their willingness. But, you know, here's the thing. Uh, and, and I'm just thinking about this out loud. So audience don't hold me to this. But here's the thing. Look at who our leaders already are. Mm-hmm. And some of them fight so hard. I was in a situation once where we were trying to lead collaboratively. And that went so against the hierarchical model that we fooled around and tried it for a couple of years. And then finally we were just disarmed and it was taken out of our hands because all we were saying was, let's do this collaboratively. Let's do this collective. Let's try to, and it was so foreign to the powers that be, but they simply refused to do it and refused so much that they rearranged everything and took the people that were a part of it out so that it would look like what they wanted it and maybe not even wanted what they needed it to look like. Right. So, you know, we talked about hierarchical leadership as being patriarchal, which it is, Mm -hmm. but it also fosters that incremental change that we've been talking about, right? Because that disruptive versus incremental and like, okay, let's pitch an idea to our leader. And then the leader will say yay or nay. And then if they say yay, they're going to help find the resources to make that idea happen. But they're often working within systems that don't necessarily support that either, right? So it always goes back to the system. It always goes back to the system that we are working within because our leaders are also somewhat hampered by that system, right? Because they can only do so much themselves, which is where that disruptive change comes in of like, no, we have to change the system because this is where we are. Um, And is there a way to do that without having to wait for that event to happen? And I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Well, and, and I don't either, but I do believe that, that, you know, disruptive change is unpredictable. And I think that's the thing that's the most scary, uh, the scariest for most people is the fact that you cannot predict it. It cannot be, as you said earlier, the incremental changes or anything. You are hit smack dab in the middle of, you're going down the street, you're walking down the street, life is good, you're leading a certain way, things are happening, it's all predictable, you think, and then boom, there you are. You're hit with this disruptive change and you have to be able to do something about it. And I think it would be good if you could anticipate but anticipating most of the systems would not believe it until it happened, Carly, because we should have anticipated uh, for a dismantling race or anti-racism. We should have anticipated 400 years ago that this could not go on without shedding of blood, the shedding of tears, without you know something happening that says we can't do this any longer. But it's almost as if we did not anticipate that and we didn't prepare for it. So we got thrust into it through things like, uh, you know, the George Floyd or the Breonna Taylor or Tamir Wright, all of the kinds of things that that took to the streets and the Black Lives Matters. You know, we we got moved into that, uh, I believe, as a form of disruptive change. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's almost like, like you said, we just got to the point where something, there had to be a break, right? Mm-hmm. Bend until it broke, right? Yeah. Um, and there, like you said, there have been so many of those events and it wasn't enough, which is awful. And then all of a sudden it was like, we have absolutely had enough, right? Um, 
and again, you can't predict that. You can't predict what that factor is going to be. And that it, I guess it hit at the right time. I don't know. But well, I guess I, that goes back to my question of like, why wasn't it the first time? Why wasn't it when, you know, when what happened to Tamir Rice happened to Tamir Rice, right? Like, why wasn't it then? And, and I even think about this when we talk about, um, you know, the, the, the gun lobby and, you know, all of that stuff, you know, why wasn't Sandy Hook the end of that conversation, right? Um, so you can't predict which of those events it's going to be, right? No, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges that we have, you know, with disruptive change and, and being leaders, disruptive, innovative leaders, I think one of the biggest challenges is that we do not pay attention to the small factors, you know, the things that are going on. If we could, quote unquote, read the tea leaves, if we could uh, look around us and not have our blinders on, our blockers, because, you know, this patriarchal leadership, this top-down model, you know, hierarchical, all of that is the way it has always been. So when we talk about systems and we talk about those kinds of things, anything that, that looks like a, you know, that is outside of that, we can control that. And we can control it in all the ways we've always controlled it, which is power. Mm -hmm. Power is the way from a leadership perspective that we have always, you know, trying to bend someone else's will to our will. And we have it all tied to things like voting and democracy. And for, for me, a lot of that is just, um, you know, it's, we're charlatans where that's concerned because we will even try to change the vote. The voters can already say something, but if, if the powers that be don't like it that way, they will expend energy, time, money, whatever, and you know have a whole campaign to try to change that. So we should be able to see these small increments that are happening around us and say, we're headed somewhere. I mean, it shouldn't have taken thousands or hundreds of thousands. It shouldn't have taken all of the people to die before we said something is wrong with our system. We're not, there's some disparities. We're not treating people the same because we've known that forever. Yeah, I, I, that is, I think, where my, I guess, obviously frustration, but <laughs> um, questions lie. Like, why does it take so much? Why, why do we let this go on for so long before we do something, right? Um, and I think about with COVID, um, you know, we lost so many people and there were beginning to be some conversations around changing, you know, looking at our healthcare system, right? Because it's not equitable in even a modicum of degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, and looking at that and then looking at, you know, even the way we think about work and what, what our efforts at work should be. And there was all these great conversations happening. And then quarantine kind of got lifted and we went back to quote unquote, the new normal, right? And then those conversations just kind of stopped. And I, I don't really understand why that was, right? Because we lost all those people that did not happen. So why are we not having those conversations? Well, I, I think it's that whole, you know, incremental change thing that we talked about early versus this whole disruptive transformation. And I, and I really do believe even now, it goes against, quote unquote, our sensibility to uh, 
to see this for what it is and we will ignore it as long as we can and that's the same thing we did with the whole you know police brutality the whole race issue i mean if if you can keep your toys and keep your status quo as long as you can why are you going to change you know and and i think that uh that has been been part of it is that this uh disruptive transformation this disruptive change this uh, having to have a disruptive uh, leadership innovative leadership model requires too much of people it requires too much and i think covid-19 was an example of it required too much most of the people thought that it was too much to wear a mask or too much to stay at home or too much to wash your hands i mean and you just think about all of the public conversations that we had around that and even now i mean you know, everybody's kind of saying, well, it's just like the flu. Well, if you want to look at it like it's just like the flu, but what about those other 500,000 people? You know, what about those other people where it wasn't just like the flu for? And even for some people now, it's not just like the flu. Right. And we still don't know the long-term effects of it. Um, you know, there's people who will have, you know, long COVID, right, where they're having these lingering symptoms and nobody really knows what's happening. And there's still so much we don't know. And it was taken extremely cavalier in a lot of ways by individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even the system itself, right? Because I think we went into panic mode of like, what are we going to do? We need to find a vaccine. We need to find, you know, this, that, and the other. Okay. Now that we've done that, let's return back to some of the conversations we were having because our healthcare system is a mess and we need yeah. to do something about it. And, 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 and I think, you know, when we look at COVID-19, uh, how it, it, it was disruptive. I mean, it changed everything we did. I mean, we zoom, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, people are able to be on zoom never here heretofore. That was just like a fledging idea and a company and, a, you know, they had other names and all that, but zoom was able to like take preeminence for and hold the market share for a long time because what are we going to do? We have to find a way to stay communicated. So we, we dealt with that. And then we dealt with economic disruptions, you know, and then even down to social justice. And, and so when you talk about our, our healthcare system and we look at COVID-19, we look at economic uh, disruptions, we, we, we look at, um, you know, um, the social injustice, what are we as leaders going to do about any of that? What are we yeah. going to do about any of it? And I think we have to continue to have those conversations and push for those conversations to come back to the forefront. And I do understand to a certain degree that desire to be like, well, let's just get quote unquote back to normal, right? Um, because it was a very stressful time and a very traumatic time for many, many people, but there is no going back to normal, right? We, that world that existed before is not the world we live in now. And so we do have to have these conversations. And it never will be. And I think that's the biggest challenge for people with disruptive, innovative leadership change or transformation is that we're all trying to get back to the way it was. And that's the biggest thing. You know, when we talk about what prevents this disruptive change model from being the new leadership model, the new paradigm that all of us live by and is because we want to go back to creature comforts. We want to go back to the way it was. And I think even, you know, even from a social justice perspective, when you hear people talk about memory, about, 
you know, how the old South was, you know, and all those kinds of things. It's whose story are you talking about? Yeah. You know, whose story are you talking about? The good old days, you know, take it back, uh, reclaim. For whom are you talking about that for? Exactly. Whose story are you telling? Who are you talking about? And when exactly were the good old days? Yeah. At what, at what time do you feel like we were living in the good old days that you want to return to? And what about it in particular do you like? <laughs> yeah, what constitutes the good old days? And, and I think that, you know, disruptive leadership or change or transformation is telling us that we cannot go back. And that's the biggest fear of those that are in power is that everything's been shifted every and even when it's been radically done like COVID-19 uh you know that I mean we had to make those adjustments and unfortunately a lot of people made those adjustments kicking and screaming and a lot of people simply said I will not make those adjustments and mm -hmm. so and they watched their loved ones die and they said this is not real and you know this is a hoax and they said all those things meanwhile hundreds of thousands of people are dying and their lives are changed. I almost think, I don't know, maybe maybe you haven't experienced it, but I would gamble to say there's hardly anybody who doesn't know someone who's had COVID. And then I'd go further to say, there's probably only a few people who don't know of someone who has died from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know people who died from it and I most of the people that I know at least had it right yeah at yeah. least once maybe more than once yeah 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 and and that kind of saying that we're never going to be the same we're never I mean I can envision mass becoming a part of my day-to-day -day routine I mean because all you're trying to do is mitigate it you haven't been able to stop it so what you're trying to do is mitigate it and 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 I'm not so sure that that people are for that and then this whole issue you know, with human sexuality, I mean, I, I, no one, all the big leadership, quote unquote, I bet the, this is a gamble, but never ever thought that we would be here today. I mean, never thought that we would see, you know, uh, more gender inclusive marriage. I mean, these are things that you can't stop this. What are you going to do to stop it? Right. And I mean, they're trying <laughs> um, because they're trying to pass laws to, you know, dissolve marriage for the LGBT community. Right. And there has I, in particular, there was a gay congressman and I am so sorry, I do not remember his name, but he stood on the floor and was like, I've been married to my partner for 30 years because they lived in a state where, you know, marriage was was legal for a long time. They're like, we have kids together. So like, what are you saying about our marriage? What are you saying about, like, what does this mean for us? You can't just dissolve this stuff. Like it, yeah. we're too far down the road now. Yeah. 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 And I think it's the same way with race and the laws and voting and all of that kind of stuff, you know, to think that there is a powerful group that can somehow speak and change your whole world in by a, a law. Yeah. That is amazing. But but here's what I think about that, Carly. I don't think that we're at the point of no return. I do not think black and brown people. I do not think the LGBTQ plus community. I do not think that the powerful, especially the patriarchal power, will ever be able to silence or to stop that. I just don't think it. Now, I think it's going to be a fight. I really do. But I do not think for one minute. And that's, that's how disruptive change works. It, it comes in 
and and it's unpredictable and it happens and you don't really see it happening because you weren't looking. You wouldn't take the scales off your eyes to see what was happening. I mean, we should have been able to witness or, or to see this when you see people saying, I am somebody, I'm a full mm -hmm. human, treat me that way, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's gender, whether it's human sexuality, whatever it is, you know, we've been saying this all along and we've had a few laws to support it, but not nearly enough. And so I think people are saying, like Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm just sick and tired. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think it will be a fight. I think they're going to try to reverse laws, right? But the outcry that's already been seen is just going to get worse and worse, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, there have been tons of polls done about LGBT rights, women's rights, um, and overwhelmingly, the populace is on the side of those things, right, is for those things. We're not seeing that reflected necessarily in the way that our Congress people vote. And that's unfortunate, but that's the situation that we're in. And so I think when we talk about our leaders, like Congress has their blinders on, like you said, a little bit of like, oh, I didn't realize the overwhelming public thought this way. They're still operating in a mindset that is ancient. It, at this point yeah. right because they're um, ancient yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> let's just call it what it is garlic yeah. i mean we've got congress people you know senators and congress people that are so old that and, and that's the whole thing about this disruptive leadership and and patriarchal leadership hierarchical leadership is that you know to change it we have to recognize that society's values have changed Yes. And society's values have changed. Society's values have changed regarding human sexuality. Society's values have changed regarding race and ethnicity. You know, uh, society's values have uh, changed regarding uh, gender. I think it was, is it Italy that has their first female prime minister? Did you read that or hear that? I think I hadn't read about that. No. I think the first, they had their first ever uh, female, or, or maybe they don't have it yet. The odds are saying it's going to happen. Maybe that's the way it is. If that mm. person is, it looks like that that person is going to win. And so they're already talking about, you know, what, what that's going to look like when it's the first, I think the election hasn't occurred yet, but all the polls are indicating that that's going to happen. You know, when we still have all these first evers, you know, whether it's gender, whether it's, you know, human sexuality, whether it's race and ethnicity, it, it's kind of like, it says that there has not been enough disruptive leadership because the transformation has not occurred and and you know looking to try to see those signs when we see the signs you asked that earlier when we started you know how do we make this disruptive leadership innovative change model the the norm i think we have to see the signs and and it requires that leaders be nimble and leaders pivot mm -hmm. and those are not leadership skills that we've ever embraced no, I mean, even when you think about a good leader, quote unquote, right, we think about someone who is, you know, who delivers on their word, um, who is like stoic, and we know what we're getting with this person, right? And those qualities are just kind of a fancy way of saying that this person doesn't really change, right? We know right, they right. are, we know yeah. that they're going to act a certain way in a certain situation. And while that may be comforting, it's not necessarily what we need, right? We do need leaders to change. We need leaders to 
you know, make campaign promises and then later on go, actually, now that I've seen the data, maybe that's not the best option, right? Right, right. It's okay to say that you had things wrong. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to say you're going to do something and then you look at the reality of what you're going to do and you decide to change your mind, right? And we don't necessarily see that as a good thing. In fact, those people are often labeled flip-floppers or whatever, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, but we do need to be flexible and things are changing all the time. So yes, we should change. Yeah, we have to be nimble and we have to be ready to p- pivot. And those are two qualities that I think, um, you know, when we talk about this disruptive uh, change model, this disruptive transformation, it will require that that leaders be nimble and leaders understand that I've got to pivot sometimes even from an impact when the impact actually happens. And, and, and part of it, I think, Carly, this whole thing for disruptive change or disruptive leadership is really about values and beliefs. And it's at the core about values and beliefs. And that is, as you just described earlier about what we see in a leader, what we think a leadership is, leaders are, or what leadership should look like. Most people are not willing to consider their own values or their own beliefs or another person's values or beliefs. And I think that's one of the things how we got in this with trying to disrupt people's uh, beliefs and practices regarding race. I mean, we've been spending, you know, hundreds of years trying to get that to change, you know, trying to, you know, see people as equal, you know, equal rights and all those things. I mean, we spent generations trying to make that happen and it hasn't happened. So we've got to do some things that help, uh, you know, in this disruptive model, we've got to do some things that help to bring that about. So um, we've got, it's kind of like, we got to call a spade a spade. You know, like when we start saying that we're a post-racial society, no, we aren't. No, we aren't. No, we weren't. And we got to say that we got to disrupt these narratives that people tell that say that this is the way it is. You know, we, we've got to be willing to do that. We've got to say, no, that's not, that's not like it is. And like you said, that couple saying, how do you discount my marriage? You know, 30 years of living with someone, having children, living a life, and you with a stroke of a pen can try to say that that, that didn't matter. And I think too, that when we, when the George Floyd murder happened, we saw not only in the United States, but globally people taking to the streets, right? Mm-hmm. And I think- that was very powerful because it showed us too that these conversations we're having here are having are happening other places. And I think connecting with our global communities can help with that because we're not isolated in this little American bubble having these conversations. No, these are happening all over the world. Yeah. And a lot of things feel very grassroots right now and they feel very like the people are saying it, but are the leaders listening sort of thing. But I do think they are in a sense, but we have to keep that pressure on. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, these are kind of cliche kinds of things that I'm going to say now, but, you know, change isn't easy. People talk all the time. We used to have these sayings that said change is inevitable, but misery is optional, you know, and, and I know those are old ways of looking at it. But, you know, when the world is faced with change then what we can do, we can kind of do one of two things. We can try to act like it's not there and spend all of our time discounting it, or we can make the adapt, we can adapt. And so I think, and that's what we had to do with COVID. And that's what we're having to do with, you know, the new 
uh, browning of America. I mean, we're having to make those, uh, uh, it's an adaptation, whether we want to or not, it's being forced upon us. So we can, we can go easy or we can go hard, but we're going to go. Exactly. Yeah. You can try and fight it, but we're going. <laughs> yeah. We're, it, it, the change has already happened. The change has already occurred. Yeah. The disruption <clears throat> is already there. Now you could ignore it. And if you've got the power and the privilege and the money, you can do that for a little while by insulating yourself. But the whole world is going on around you and it is not going to stop because you don't think it should. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think, Carly, maybe we can, uh, you know, continue to talk a little bit about leadership and about just the this disruptive transformation model, this innovative change. And maybe we can talk to some leaders, maybe leaders at our school. And, you know, maybe the president will come on our show and uh, uh, we could talk to, you know, some key people, maybe your boss mm -hmm. will come on and we could talk about what are we going to do about these things that are happening and, uh, you know, in our world and, and in our school world, in our environment, what are we going to do about them? Because, I mean, we're saying that we are now the most ethnically diverse incoming class we've had two years in a row. Well, what are we going to do? Right. How do we adapt to that? Yeah, exactly. I think that would be an excellent sort of step for us, right? Um, to sort of stick with this disruptive change and start looking at it through different lenses, I think would be really a really good thing for us to do in the upcoming weeks. Um, so thank you all for being here with us again today. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation that we had and um, we would love to hear your thoughts if you'd like to send them to WEHC um, so that we can hear a little bit back from you all. Um, we're gonna continue to talk about disruptive change and the disruptive change model and you know see what we can kind of suss out for ourselves. We're still just, you know, discovering this and doing our own research and developing our ideas around it. So we would love to hear from you um, and we will see you all next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Pass on the victory. We shall walk.